You're listening to Turn the Mic Around with Internews. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, and welcome to Turn the Mic Around. This is Internews' monthly conversations where we interview journalists working all around the world, really tackling some of the most vexing problems facing our world. My name is Jeannie Burgo, and I'm the president of Internews. We are an international nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting independent media in 100 countries around the world. I am thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Jaya Sridharg. Jaya is a health journalist based in Chennai, India, um, and she's also the co-author of the online course, Let's Talk Vaccines. So Jaya, welcome today and welcome to this conversation. I want to start out going a little bit personal. You've been a health journalist for a very long time. You've covered a lot of the major health epidemics um, in, the, in the past years. Tell us a little bit about your personal journey and also tell us how covering the pandemic is different from other health crises that you covered in, in, your, in your amazing, amazing uh, career. Uh, thanks, Jeannie. It's, it's great to be here and to be part of this conversation. Um, um, I, I was just thinking a bit about this question and, it, and it, uh, uh, most of my past experience has been covering the HIV AIDS um, epidemic uh, all those many years ago. And, and I've continued to follow the coverage since. And I think um, what the coverage of HIV really did to journalists around the world was to show us what a wide canvas uh, reporting on public health really offered to us. So it wasn't just about interviewing patients in hospitals or speaking to doctors and health workers, but it was um, addressing the politics of it, addressing discrimination. The conversation moved very quickly to public health governance and human rights. And I think that human rights and governance continue to be the major, major de determinants of how health is understood, how it's researched, how that shapes policies and how it's actually delivered on the ground. So who gets included in the conversation and who gets left out of it is determined by how journalists are able to understand health and human rights and governance and report on them. So I think that was um, an absolutely um, um, wonderful journey to be part of the huge community of journalists that covered the HIV epidemic. But what I find a bit different about COVID-19 is just like the human faces and marginalized communities came to the fore and changed the face of health reporting all those decades ago, today it's science that's at the forefront. So we're mm. seeing rapidly evolving science and a lot of uh, terminologies and the, the, uh, you know, the innards of the research world uh, laid out on the table for people to, you know, to scramble to understand. And journalists are scrambling along with the public mm -hmm. to make sense of the science and interpret it in terms that are relatable and understandable and in an accurate fashion for audiences. And that's where I think that this um, pandemic is so different for health journalism. I guess I, I, I too feel like a scientist through this pandemic, how much I'm consuming about, uh, about the, the news about it and trying to understand myself because it does affect every one of us in the world as well. So that's an interesting insight. Um, we will be opening up to questions to the audience, but I just I have a few more that I want to get on with Jaya. I think that we're arguably all a little bit disappointed about how the media has covered vaccines, or not necessarily covered vaccines, but the fact that the coverage of vaccines hasn't resulted in more vaccine vaccine uptake. And so just love to hear your thoughts on that. Is there something that journalists could do more broadly about the coverage of vaccines that, that, that you think could make a difference? 
Well, I think we, we always sort of follow the maxim that, that information can save lives and information can make a difference. But uh, I think we, we're finding out many new things in this pandemic that we didn't know before. And that, uh, and, and I think one of those is explaining the science of it very clearly, that that's a lot of, in, lot of attention has to go to understanding and interpreting the science properly. The second thing is dealing with all of those underpinnings of what people believe in. So uh, their, their cultural beliefs for one, their religious uh, beliefs for one, their political persuasions for another. And uh, I think a lot of skepticism, the, the more educated you are, the more likely you are to question what goes, uh, goes on around you. And we find like, let's say in a country like India, it's the more literate states that are questioning the efficacy of vaccines, questioning the effectiveness of vaccines. Uh, whereas there's a greater uptake of vaccines in, in, in the states of North India where literacy levels are much lower and there's a greater trust in uh, the healthcare system or what doctors can do for you. So uh, it's an interesting mix of things and journalists have to grapple with what the local realities are on the ground and respond to them, which means much more homework. And it's not just batting out the same uh, cookie cutter set of information um, responses that the government gives you or, uh, or uh, that you pick up from the Western press or from uh, journalists or elsewhere. So I think it's I think that what journalists can do to better their coverage of vaccines is to go out into the field, which has been a challenge thus far, also because of the lockdowns, but to do it safely, taking personal safety precautions and go and find out what's troubling people and, and why they are refusing vaccines or why some people are accepting vaccines and amplify those positive stories. So that serves as a nudge for me for more people to develop confidence in vaccines. Yeah, I mean, even diving a little bit deeper on this reluctance factor, and I think it's, you know, the, the complications of covering reluctance and making sure that you're giving voice to reluctance balanced with the science of, of what you're trying to do as well. So maybe go a little bit deeper on sort of that directly addressing the reluctance and the journalist role, again, not as advocates, but in sort of covering this phenomena. I'm curious if you have yeah, more on that. Um, I think the um, there's, there's lots of evidence to show that when there's consensual trust in science across societies, like in a country, if the overall temper of the public, the, 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 the ambience, so to speak, is to understand and trust science and trust doctors, and they're able to have that kind of confidence, then there's greater vaccine uptake. There's enough evidence to show that. But within a country, there can be varying levels of trust in science, and that lowers the overall vaccine uptake. So when, uh, when one asks oneself, so what can journalists do in a situation like that? I think it's the key role of the journalist as far as vaccine hesitancy is concerned is really to build trust in science. And that's a long journey. It's, I, I think we just are on the first leg of that journey as we try to uh, build trust in science ourselves because uh, we can't forget that there's a huge section of the media that doesn't follow the science at all. Uh, they need training, they need access to experts, and they need some uh, support, they need help from maybe senior journalists or communicators to be able to interpret the complex data that's emerging from the science of the pandemic better for their readers. So um, building trust in science, building trust in the way science works, and being able to understand that science doesn't have all the answers for you at the end of the day immediately, but it can offer you 
even uh, uh, solutions that can tide you over the present patch till a better solution comes along. I think that kind of patience has to be cultivated in, in science and scientists and the way scientists work as well. So lots of challenges for journalists and I absolutely love it because uh, every time there's a challenge, you learn so many new things. There's new ways of working with other journalists, learning from them, developing new training curricula. Uh, the mentoring process is different and the kinds of people you meet are different. Uh, I, I, I really think it's time for journalists to interact with a whole uh, uh, new set of researchers. And those are the behavioral science experts um, whose voices haven't been heard as much as we would we might have liked in this conversation till vaccine hesitancy is uh, acknowledged globally as a major major challenge to public health right of course um i'm uh, to the audience again i'm going to open up in just a minute so please leave any questions you might have for jaya um in the chat but just want to go on to one of the issues that has really been very challenging uh in in, in the pandemic as well as other uh more recent um epidemics is the misinformation and disinformation uh, plaguing so many parts of, the, of, of our communication space, but certainly uh, when it comes to the pandemic. And what can journalists do to, you know, at a minimum, make sure they're not adding to the mis and disinformation, um, but potentially even like finding ways to shift the conversation a little bit. If you can talk about that a little bit, that'd be great. Um, under, do the homework. <laughs> do, do the <laughs> Absolutely. If, if, if we've developed uh, uh, you know, such fine commentators, you know, on, on, the, on the politics of things, on, on climate change, then uh, the health uh, journalists have to bone up on, on the information. They have to get down uh, and, and sweat it out and learn the science. And I think uh, one of the most important ways to do that is to also observe scientists at work. Uh, it's important for uh, the journalists not just to you know dash in and out of the hospital and interview a doctor and expect the doctor to explain everything to them, but uh, I think it, it's time to get into the trenches and go through scientifically, uh, you know, the the peer-reviewed scientific journals to understand what that jargon means. To sit and and get friendly with researchers, uh, get to know their problems firsthand so that there's a greater empathy for the way research is done, the way it's presented, and there's a better uh, ability to judge the quality of research. I think that, that there's no getting away from it. There's no shortcuts at all. But if that kind of investment is made, the quality of science commentary in the mainstream media can improve greatly. And I think that that's what can really uh, help the public develop a better scientific understanding of how science works. And um, it, it will build trust. Because if, if you know that science is not infallible, uh, then there's a greater chance that, you, and, and that's how it works, there's a greater chance that you will develop trust. I mean, this, this might sound counterintuitive, but it, it, okay. it, it makes for greater transparency. Yeah, I think it's the transparency that build, builds the trust. Uh, there's a question in the chat that's specifically related to this about the, the point that you made about the, the lower uptake of vaccines in more literate states. Um, do you think that has, is that to do with the access to social media and the, the concurrent sort of misinformation that comes along with it? Or what, what do you attribute that to? What are some of the uh, factors, I guess? I think, I think um, the more literate states and the lower vaccine uptake would be explained by um, uh, insufficient understanding of the, the ways uh, vaccine science has been reported by the media. So when you, when you uh, hear about adverse events following vaccination and the journalist just says that 
maybe a couple of people died of uh, stroke or blood clots following uh, you know, vaccination with a particular, particular vaccine, uh, then that's going to sort of make them pull back. I mean, that's the news they read and they're not going to go beyond it. They're not going to question it. They're not going to look at the numbers. So I think it's, it's, it falls on the journalists to sort of lead them through understanding how frequent adverse events happen after vaccination with a certain uh, company's vaccine and how to interpret it in the light of the other risks you face in your day-to-day -day life. I mean, you have mm -hmm. to give some additional information to help them relate it and to make an informed choice. And that's the bit that's missing. So I think it's insufficient information uh, that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, this again related, I think we are so focused on the mis and disinformation from a colleague with Farm Radio, which we love. Um, uh, just about, are there specific storytelling skills that the journalists can use, sort of different techniques in the way they tell a story to help in this, not just relying on the science and that transparency piece, but also just the nature of the storytelling itself to, to help combat the mis and disinfo? Oh, I think, I think that that's the other uh, part of the COVID-19 pandemic story that's uh, not, not gotten that much of media space and that is really the, uh, telling the story of how families and and individuals have uh, suffered through the pandemic i think we've seen some uh, stories that that sort of captured it at a population level yes we've seen great stories on the on the migration out uh, you know reverse migration of uh, people going back to their villages uh, after the lockdowns in India, for instance. So you've got like a, uh, some stories there. But after that, the human face of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, I think it's sort of been subsumed in the data dashboards that we're seeing everywhere. And uh, the, uh, I just want to make a comment about the data dashboards. Um, they're incomplete. You know, they're, they're not the full picture. And, but what they do is uh, something very dangerous. They give you an illusion of control that you know exactly mm -hmm. what's going on and, and that this country is worse affected uh, and, and, and this one is doing better when actually the data aren't complete enough for you to make those comparisons. Mm -hmm. But we find ourselves doing stories on those things all the time. So sometimes I wonder, are we, are we diverting focus from some more important issues uh, that people ought to be knowing, such as home-based care, for instance? You know? Uh, all of us citizen scientists are also contributing that way, exactly, so. <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but one more reference to the dashboards that I would like to make is the, the Johns Hopkins um, uh, recent dashboard on, on, on uh, the sources of information that people trust and they find, and, and uh, one of the uh, studies showed that there is far less trust in the media and more trust in scientists. And what we really need to do to correct that is to bring more scientists into the public domain through journalists. I think the voices of the researchers and scientists on the front lines of um, uh, you know, finding solutions to the pandemic really need to be captured far better by journalists than we have been doing. And I think that that's an excellent way forward to build trust in vaccines. Um, we're just gonna keep going on the mis and disinformation. Um, here's a, a question about sort of what do we do about people who are just completely indifferent to evidence-based information and science. They're just committed to their subjective view of reality no matter how much experts try to educate them. I mean, is, is, is all hope lost there or, or what have you seen that could work? Yeah, I wish, wish I knew the answer to that one, but, I, but this is why I'm waiting to see what the behavioral scientists have to say about this, because um, obviously there's no point uh, you know, solving this with, with, with the linear logic of, of 
high quality evidence from science, but that, that's not cutting it, right? So uh, we have to deal with some of the other things that are going on in the lives of these people, uh, try and address those things. Is it, is it political compulsions that are making them uh, point blank refuse vaccines? But I think if, if one keeps peppering the environment of their lives with sufficient information that's evidence-based, that's correct, that's accurate, and also persuasive, uh, and and here, here's where the leadership really needs to step up to the plate. We need all the social influencers out there to make a difference, show them getting the shots, coming away with smiling faces. We've had pediatricians in India taking the shot and then going on a bicycle uh, to show that, that, that they're fine after the vaccine. And there's, uh, you know, you, you should really uh, sort of go ahead and take it. And this is how it's going to help your family. So we need a lot of trusted uh, faces out there and, and powerful social influencers to turn the tide, I think, if one wants to appeal to the emotional side of things. Uh, but I wish we could take a leaf or two out of the world of the marketing folks. <laughs> How do they really uh, switch behaviors, make people just, just accept several, several things that they don't need in their lives, just like that. We, we, we need yeah. more scholarship around that. Um, I just want to go to the experience in India itself. This is a question from me because I know that India has gone from being, you know, one of the most, you know, a giant success story to a really dire situation and, and coming back from that. And part of it feels like it was a little bit about the government communications as well, so the public information, not not necessarily the journalists, their coverage, but more how the you know. So what's the role of governments and public health officials in this? tackling the vaccine question, but more broadly when it comes to health and sort of that, you know, where, what are some of the biggest stumbles that can happen from a public health or a government official? I think transparency, uh, Jeannie, really. Um, I think uh, transparent, periodic, uh, regular communication as often as it's needed, particularly when there's a crisis on the ground, like an adverse event, um, uh, or which, which may not be an adverse event at all, but that's when the officials really need to be available to the journalists to cut through the uh, misinformation and disinformation and clarify things. Uh, I think the second thing is uh, the, the messaging around uh, vaccines has to be very clearly formulated by health communications experts and then shared with the journalists and just not leave it to the politicians or to the media mm -hmm. to do that themselves because this is a highly specialized field and those messages are very carefully crafted. Uh, I think the third thing is uh, be open about the data and about the lack of data. That's key. And I think the fourth very important thing is that journalists should be, uh, you know, the frontline informants for what's really going on out in the field where uh, the government doesn't have its eyes and ears. And uh, we really need to keep the information flowing back to the policymakers and the implementers about who needs what where. And I think that that's really key. What are people thinking? What are people feeling? Um, you know, it, what, what, what are the barriers they're facing? And we've not really seen uh, enough of that kind of a critical uh, reporting, at least not in India. Mm -hmm. um, an interesting question here that's sort of comparing the coverage of um, the pandemic to what happened just recently in, at the COP26 in, in Glasgow. And a lot of the journalists were saying to cover climate, um, the summit, that you needed really more stories, human stories that helped convince people that climate change is real and give a sense of personal agency. Again, I think that, that piece that you talked about, that personal agency. So how do you compare sort of climate coverage and pandemic journalism coverage? I think climate change uh, coverage is raised far ahead. They've been at this game far longer than we have. 
uh, we're mm -hmm. relatively new to the the science of the pandemic game. Uh, we just just barely two years old into this kind of um, a, you know sort of um, science dominating the coverage of a health issue. Um, so I think we have a lot to learn from them. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, thankfully, or unfortunately, we have something called One Health, where I think that that's a great stage for osmosis because uh, you know, the uh, division between the two, between climate change and health, is it's so porous, it's so fragile, and one is going to influence the other. So I think uh, climate change journalists need to um, uh, show us, uh, give us some pointers, and, and we, we can teach them some stuff as well for the overall benefit of better health uh, and climate change commentary uh, on the whole. Uh, related to that, and we are getting close to the uh, our time, I want to be... Uh, uh, careful about the time, but looking ahead, what do you think journalists have learned from COVID-19 that will help us as we think about coverage of what will be the inevitable next pandemic? Um, what might be different or what, what could be something that will take, take forward um, as journalists? Um, I think we have to be prepared to cover the next pandemic before it arrives. Exactly. That's absolutely right. And for that, I think it starts with uh, creating a network of contacts. Every, you know, the, those who, those of us who want to be on the on the uh, trail of the next pandemic have to know who to reach out to. We need to follow the scientific literature that's published around the subject and get familiar with that, and 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 follow government policy. There's a, a huge amount of scholarship that's being generated around pandemic preparedness thanks to the present uh, pandemic. So there's a whole new peer-reviewed uh, journal that's out there on, on infodemiology, which is tracing the flow, uh, the origin and source and flow of information, just like they track neural networks in the brain. So uh, there, there's, it, there, there's an increasing level of sophistication in the kind of thinking that's being applied uh, to pandemic preparedness and tracking uh, the uh, misinfodemic that, uh, that is increasingly seen being seen to accompany these health issues. Anyone with, with uh, digital access is a journalist these days. They have uh, freedom to comment, to upload their photographs, their quotes, their comments, their feelings, it's all out there. And I think increasingly the role of the health journalist uh, goes beyond that of a storyteller to that of a navigator who's going to help audiences steer uh, away from the shallow waters of mis and disinformation towards you know, sort of safer waters where you're better equipped to make health choices moving forward. Given that this pandemic is, this is a final question here, um, this pandemic is reaching every nook and cranny of the world. And I know that you've uh, put a lot of effort in trying to make sure that journalists everywhere are able to cover the vaccine issue more, more uh, effectively. And so the Let's Talk Vaccine online workshop, can you tell us just a little bit about that as our, as our final closing statements? Absolutely. That was an absolutely delightful project to work on with, with a talented team of professionals here within Internews. Um, and and the, uh, the course covers, it's, it's a broad sort of a, a course which, which covers not just the science, equips journalists not just to report on the science of, the, uh, of vaccines, but also with, with how they're made, how they're distributed, and what are the issues with the uptake. And it also gives journalists a list of sources uh, and, and uh, uh, the excellent uh, kinds of reporting by other journalists. We all learn from the way uh, the other health journalists report. We learn from each other's stories. So uh, you have a, a sources chapter as well. It's a self-paced course. You can learn it on your own time, uh, at your own pace. And there's uh, quiz questions. It, it's, it's fun, it's engaging, and it's 
informative. But what we try to do is not just throw information at uh, our colleagues out there. We, we've sort of made it uh, as conversational as possible. So you can have fun. It, it, it's like talking to a senior mentor in your own newsroom. And I think that that's why, why it's fun to take that course. Um, so and in a number of languages soon, right? Uh, French, Spanish. That, that's right. Uh, uh, it's being translated currently into Arabic, um, uh, you know, with, with, with the support of the WHO uh, Eastern Mediterranean uh, region, regional office, and uh, it will be available to journalists who report in Arabic. And uh, along with the Sabin Institute, there's a wonderful collaboration that's uh, ongoing now where the course is being translated into French. And it's not just these translations that are going to be made available online. There's also going to be regional media dialogues uh, around the content in, in these courses, engaging with local experts, um, as well as uh, in-person contact interactions with the mentors and the other uh, authors of the course. So we're looking forward to some uh, to learning from the community of journalists who are going to be engaging with us on this course uh, as well. Super, and we put a link in the chat. Everyone, if you want to take a pat, share that link broadly. Okay, Jaya, thank you so much. I am going to take from you that storytellers need to become more navigators as we move forward. And I think that's so very true. And I really love that line. Thank you so much. I know it's late there in Chennai, but we really appreciated you joining us today for this month's version of Turn the Mic Around. Uh, if you want to learn more about internews, please visit our website, internews.org. Please follow us on social media. And also, if you're inspired, go ahead and hit that donate button because it's your support that makes these types of programs possible. So really appreciate seeing everyone today. Really appreciate you, Jaya, and we'll see you again next month. Thank you, everyone. Everyone deserves trustworthy news and information. At Internews, we support independent media to create a safer and more informed world. For 40 years, Internews has been elevating local voices in more than a hundred countries in the places that need information most. From radio stations in refugee camps to hyper-local news outlets, Internews is committed to amplifying underrepresented voices everywhere. We train journalists, tackle disinformation, organize digital rights activists, and offer expertise to help media outlets become financially sustainable. Empowering our partners to reach millions with quality local news that saves lives, delivers accurate information to communities in crisis, and holds power to account. Truth is an endangered species. Support the truth and those who report it.